I have to believe that the fellowship of God's people is like music to his ears. Yeah. That the conversation that we have amongst us about the Father and our relationships with one another happens to please the Father. I think he enjoys that. And sometimes it's easy for us to get caught up in walking in the door and walking out the door and bypassing the fellowship of the believers and the encouragement of one another. May we never forget, you know, I enjoy what we do on Sundays. I always look forward to it. But I do recognize that it's easy to get lost. And sometimes there are hurts sitting right beside us that we don't even know. Because we don't know people's stories and we don't know what's taking place in their life and we don't know the struggles and the issues that they may be facing. But I'd whole lot rather be in an environment like we were yesterday, Jimmy, with 12 guys in a cabin overlooking a field talking about Jesus and our relationships with the Lord and relationships with one another and our relationships with our families. Not just listening to one another, but getting to know one another because I think that's pleasing to the Father. Because listen, there's going to come a time when that stuff that you, that you just got through seeing, trust in the Lord, you know, and I sought the Lord and, you know, I trusted Him and, you know, He's always been there for me. There are going to be some times when you don't feel like He's there. And there are going to be some times when you don't feel like, you feel like you're all alone. And there are going to be some times when you feel like God has abandoned you. Amen? Isn't that true? And so coming into church on a Sunday morning may not be enough for you. You're going to need to have the encouragement and the fellowship of the believers around you so that you can be encouraged and you can be held up during those times. Because if we're truthful, there are going to be some times you're going to be ready to throw in the towel and walk away. That's just, that's just the way it is. That doesn't make you less of a believer or less of a follower of Christ. It just makes you human. It makes it real. We don't have any perfect people here at this place, except for Dottie Nelson. I mean, there's just Dottie. <laughs> but this is a real place where real people are with real hurts and real pains who serve a real Jesus. And that's what we want to talk about today. Would you take your Bible and would you look with me at a passage of Scripture in Matthew chapter 15? We're going to be there. It just sort of gets us going and moves us in the direction that we're going to be headed today. We're talking about lasting love, lasting, uh, lasting um, love, building relationships that last. We're focusing on marriage, but this isn't limited to marriage. This includes all relationships. The things that we talk about are applicable, Bruce, for all marriages or all relationships, not just marriage itself. And so we're going to be able to hear today as we continue to look at this, this as we walk in this series, um, what Jesus himself has to say, what Paul has to say, and we're going to take our cues from him because if we take our cues from, from what Scripture has to say, there's a whole lot better chance that life is going to work out in, better, in a better situation. And when life doesn't work out, um, we, we've got the Lord walking with us because he knows that we know that he's, he's with us. And so these are the words that we find in Matthew chapter 19 in the Gospel of Matthew, verses 1 through 6. And so these are the words that we read. When Jesus had finished saying these, these things, talking about the things that he had been talking about previous to this, prior to this, it says that he left Galilee. Up until this time, Jesus had been ministering, teaching, um, 
doing miracles in and around the area of Galilee, the Sea of Galilee, Nazareth. And now what's happening is Jesus is fixing to begin to make his way toward Jerusalem. And just a couple of chapters later, we would see where Jesus would be arrested and he would be brought to trial where he would eventually be crucified. And in chapter 16, I think around verse 21, we see that Jesus tells him, I'm getting ready to leave this place and make my way toward Jerusalem because there's some things that are going to happen. And you're may not going to understand them, but, but, but the Father, I'm going to be obedient to him, and this is where I'm headed. And so this is the transition. This is what's taking place. Jesus is getting ready to move and leave and head towards Jerusalem. And it says, on that way, large crowds followed him in verse 2, and he healed their sick. Now you know why the large, large crowds were following Jesus, because he healed the sick, because they were attracted, because there was something that was different about him. Some Pharisees, the religious leaders, these were the experts of the law. These were the, these were the pastors at that time that everybody would have looked up to and said, oh, they know exactly what they're talking about. These were the people, the ones that the people focused on. The Pharisees came and they tried to trap Jesus. They tried to trap him with the question. And here was the question, should a man be allowed to divorce his wife for just any reason? They were trying to trap Jesus, so they asked him the question. Haven't you read the scriptures, Jesus said? He replied, they... Um, that they record from, from the beginning that God made them male and female. May we not forget this. He made them male and female. God made them male and female. And he said, this explains why a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are united into one. And then verse 6, since they're no longer two but one, let no one split apart what God has joined together. Would you pray, Father? I'm praying that in our time together we would hear your voice, not mine. That in the stories that are told, the words that are read, Lord, that we would hear your voice and that your voice would penetrate the bone and marrow, the innermost parts of our heart. And God, we wouldn't just hear, but we would seek to absorb what your word has to say so that we can walk away from here different because of the Holy Spirit and what it's doing in our lives. Transform us, Jesus. We need that today. And for the person that is in this room feeling as if there's no hope, they're ready to just to move on. Jesus, I pray for them today that they would hear your voice specifically and know exactly what to do. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. You know, after we say I do, we have these grand visions. When I say I do, we stand before a pastor or a justice of the peace and we, uh, we speak those words. I do. I, I do. How about you? I do too. You know, and we have these grand visions of what marriage will be like in the days ahead. But if you know anything about life, life doesn't always go as planned, does it? It doesn't. Maybe it's a move, a change, or loss of a job, an unexpected sickness, or kids show up planned or unplanned. On the other hand, it may not be the, the birth of a child, but it may be the struggle with infertility. I understand that, Meredith, and I struggled with that for 12 years after saying I do. Maybe it's a financial crisis, and before you know it, you and your spouse are at a place that you, at a place you never thought you would be. Which leads me to the question of this: Is it possible to remain committed in marriage and not just survive but thrive, even in the midst of those stresses and tensions, even in the midst of the twists and turns that seems to throw us off kilter? Is it possible to remain fully committed to our spouse till death? do part. See, standing before a crowd and saying, I love you and I do. I mean, that's the simplest of all things, right? Right? 
I mean, yes, standing before a crowd of people and confessing your love till death do part, that's the, that's the easy, that's the easy part. But remaining committed through the storms and the, and the, and the tensions of life will require effort. It will require not only faith in God, but it will require faith in each other. My mom and dad have a picture on their wall as you, I say it's on their wall, I haven't looked lately, but it used to be there and it hung there for many years and it said this, grow old along with me, the best is yet to be. And if you're married, you know that remaining committed to one another over the long haul will have its obstacles, right? The, the, the things that we're going to have to overcome come like, for instance, the lack of biblical modeling. I was reading a statistic that tells us that couples that are actually seeking after, seeking to live out their faith and keeping Jesus at the center of their relationship and their family are much likely less, to, um, much like, much less likely to divorce than those who are just professing Christians and walk in those doors on Sunday morning. Those that are actively seeking to, to, to hear, to, to apply God's word to life, they want to keep Jesus at the center of their family. Those people are much less likely to divorce. Didn't say not go through difficulty, but they're much less likely to divorce than those who just walk through the doors on a Sunday morning and profess to be a Christian. More less likely than those who just wear a, a shirt that says, I'm a Christian. Because you can wear that t-shirt and yet not represent Christ. You can wear the jersey and yet not be on the team. I was thankful though in talking about biblical modeling that I was thankful to have been raised in a home where parents that just didn't talk about Jesus but they, they didn't talk about church. They carried us to church and they sought to live it out in the home. Uh, the, the biggest arguments in my home growing up, I, I think if, there were two things that were arguments in my home growing up. No, my mom and dad are probably listening, so I'm just going to tell the truth, mom and dad, just so you know. Number one, it was in the middle of the night when it would be burning up. Why in the world do you have an air conditioner in the 70s? Because that was not necessarily the norm back in the 70s. But to have an air conditioner in, and to leave it set at like 80 or 90 degrees, because they would always say, well, we can't afford the air. Why do you have the air? You know, that was all I remember. We can't afford it. And in the middle of the night, sometimes I would get up to turn it down just until it went click, click, you know, and then it, you would and it, turn that off. <laughs> we can't afford that. And the other, the other big conflict in our home was on Sunday mornings because I grew up where I would always want to I wear certain clothes and my mom always had this vision of what I should wear. And so on Sunday mornings, there was usually an argument about the time that she would walk in or see me, what I had was ready to go to church. And she didn't like what I would wear. And she would say, you need to change that because we don't go to church like that. That's not what you wear to church. But those were the biggest arguments that I remember in my home growing up because my, my parents modeled for us what it looked like. They loved each other. They loved the Lord. They, they loved us as a, as a family, and they lived that out before us. But my parents also had good models. By the way, my mom and dad will be married 64 years this next, their next anniversary. But my mom and dad, yes, you can clap. But my mom and dad had good models before them because my, my, mother, and, my mother and father's family, my dad's side, Grandma Brock and Grandpa Brock were married for 64 years until my grandfather uh, passed away with dementia. And then my grandmother and grandfather on my mother's side 
um, my mom, my mom and, and dad's mom, my mom's mother and father were married 72 years. Did I say that right? So my mother's, my mother's father and mother were married 72 years until my grandmother passed away. And I understand that that's probably anomaly these, this day and time. Because we don't have, we don't, there are many people that don't have that example, but I had that example set for, for me growing up. Many of us don't have a, an example of a godly marriage, a long-lasting marriage for us to look to. And when we don't have that model for us, what we end up doing is easy for us to turn to culture or somebody else that has an opinion because a culture has an opinion about marriage and about relationships to begin with. Culture says this, and you know this, it's all about me, me first. I mean, forget about you, I'm the one that's important. It was Paul in his letter to the church at Philippi that would say, listen, don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble in thinking others better than yourselves. Don't look out for your own interest, but take an interest in others. Culture also says, just do what feels right. You know, if it feels right, just go for it. But God's word said, listen, don't trust your feelings, but trust in the Lord. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, with all your soul and your mind and your strength. Lean on him. Not your own understanding. Because it's your own understanding and your own feelings that have a way of, of leading you astray. But God's word, it's right, it's pure, it's perfect. Culture says, why get married? You can just live together. Everybody else is doing it. Just cohabitate. And so I've, you know, I've heard people say this before. You know, the Bible specifically doesn't say, thou shalt not live together before marriage. Listen, don't come and tell me, well, we're just, we're just roommates. We're just, we, you know, he stays in one room and I stay in the other room. Don't come tell me that foolishness. I know what the Bible has to say about sexual immorality. I know what the Bible has to say about living a life in, in obedience to Christ. I know what the Bible has to say about avoiding the appearance of evil. Don't put yourself in that situation. But culture says it's okay. Go for it. It's not that big of a deal. Marriage is contractual. It's 50-50. Man, just get married. If it doesn't work out, just get a divorce. See, marriage is viewed as a contract instead of a covenant. Not what I can give to it, but what I can get out of it. I don't have to contribute anything. I just want to get something from it. Get all you can while you can. I remember when I had been in ministry not very long, and uh, I had married several people, and I just learned that, you know, when somebody wanted to get married, you had to sit down and have a conversation with them. And so um, I had this couple, and I met them at some place. I don't remember where it was. And um, the guy came to me. He said, "Listen, Sid. He said, would you consider? Would you think about marrying us?" And I didn't know this guy. I mean, his name was in the paper all the time, so I thought he was somebody important. And I said, "We'll sit down and talk about it." I mean, that's what you're supposed to do, right, Alan? Just sit down and have a conversation. Let's talk. Let's get to know you guys. And so they they set an appointment. I met with them. And in the midst of the conversation, it went uh, something something sort of a, along this line, because I'm an inquisitive guy, so I like to ask questions, Melvin. So I said, well, listen, I said, well, is, it, is, this, your, is this your first marriage? And, um, and, I, and so I asked, is this, is this your first marriage? You know, he's like, um, no. And I said, um, okay, um, so you've, married, you've, been, you've been married before? And he said, mm, yeah, a few times. <laughs> and I said, well, he goes like, one, two, three, four. Um, 
I, I, four times, I, I, four times, four times. I said, four times, wow, you know. You had to be an expert at this thing, you know. <laughs> and I said, well, what about, what about you? you? No, I haven't. I've been waiting for Mr. Wright, and I finally found him. And I'm thinking, are you kidding me? <laughs> so I asked him a very intelligent question. This was my intelligence. I have to ask an intelligent question. Sometimes I get myself in trouble. So I asked the question. I said, well, what, what's going to make, you know, Kevin, what's going to make this time different than the other times? And he said to me, just as, I mean, he was, he was so excited that, because I love her. <laughs> I said, you do? I said, man, that's great. And I said, man, that's awesome that you love her. I said, what makes this different than the other four women that you've said that you loved? It was quiet. So we finished up our time a little bit later on. The lady called me and she said, I just want you to know we won't be needing your services. You have revealed the true jerk that he is. <laughs> so if you really, if you're looking to get out of a, a marriage, uh, before you get married, you just come see me for marriage counseling and I'll help you out. <laughs> Culture says, listen, I'm in it as long as it benefits me in some way. Rich Covenant marriage says I'm committed regardless of what I get out of it. Not by my strength, but through my reliance on Christ. And here's the thought, is that all of us are influenced by what we see. All, all of us are influenced by what's been modeled for us. Um, and um, you, the, you may not think this, but the people you hang out with, what, what, you, what you watch, what you see, the people you hang out with, they will have an influence in your Marriage. If you hang around people that value marriage, uh, they it will help you um, value marriage. If you hang around people that value marriage from a biblical perspective, it'll help you out. It'll be an encouragement to you. It will impact and influence the way that you think, that you feel, and that what you believe about marriage. There's another obstacle. Not just the, the the lack of biblical modeling, which we, you know, which which we're beginning to lose these days. Man, what what would it be like if this was a place? This was a place that people knew that we valued marriage. Not just the I do, but we valued marriage. I think it would have an impact. What about emotional preparation? That's another one. Emotional preparation, another obstacle. Statistics tell us that the generations that are coming behind us, they're not emotionally prepared to handle long-term relationships. They say that a child needs to grow up in an environment where they see respect demonstrated. Remember, ladies, what we talked about last week about respect, about honoring your, your husband, respecting him, not because he deserves it, but because, because God designed it that way. There was a reason for that. Husbands, love your wives. Wives, respect. Submit to your husbands as unto the Lord. There was a reason God designed things that way. But they don't need to see respect demonstrated. They need to see encouragement and feel comfort and no security and approval and acceptance and appreciation and attention and affection. Listen, parents, we've got our work cut out for us, don't we? Yes, very much so. Yet how many of us have the odds stacked against us after saying, I do? Because what happens after, what happens when the spouse falls short? What happens when they can't live up to your expectations? Throw some kids and some financial stress in the middle of all that and you've got, you're just waiting for an explosion to take place. 
And how many struggle because they aren't prepared, equipped or prepared to emotionally stay the course over the long haul when the tensions and the struggles come? Not just in marriage, but in any relationship. I mean, how many people are ready to walk away from good relationships, good friendships that they've had for years because something happens and they don't know how to deal with it? And on top of the lack of modeling and being emotionally unprepared, Tack on the obstacle of self-absorption, self-absorption, which goes back to that thought of me first. It can be defined as a preoccupation with one's own emotion and interest. It's that line that we're fed every day by culture that says, you know, from social media or from movies or billboards or, or commercials that says, it's all about me. I'm the center of life. Whatever I want, whatever makes me feel good, and it's so ingrained in us that it's made its way, it's slipped its way into the Christian culture. That consumer mentality where people walk in the doors and they're just wondering, what's what's, what's this church going to do for me? Reminds me of the story years ago of a Christian leader that I was... I had met with specifically because I know he's, he was struggling in marriage and I know there were some issues that were going on and he looked me in the eye. I don't remember where I was, but he said this to me. He said, um, he said, Sid, God just wants me to be happy. I thought I was going to fall out of my, I thought I was going to fall out of my seat. I'm not going to tell you what I said because it wasn't very nice, but, but I thought to myself, this is a man that's, he's a, He's a leader. This, this, is a, this is a leader. And this is what he's saying. Culture says if it doesn't work out, just trade it in for a different model. And so in talking about lasting love and relationships and marriage that not only just survive but thrive, it's pretty obvious that the odds are stacked against us, right? But there was a moment in Jesus' ministry that he gave us a plan about, the, about lasting relationships, that dealt with lasting relationships. And Jesus' plan was, was simple. And it was definitely counter to the culture then as well as today. And what Jesus taught, it was life-changing. It was incredibly powerful when not just heard, but when lived out. And having said that, I want you to do this for me. I want you to turn over just a couple of other books to the Gospel of John And I want you to turn to chapter 13 because that's where we're going to be. And so here in the gospel of John that was written by the apostle John, we're going to see the words of Jesus and what he has to say that was so important. And in John chapter 13, verse 34, this is what, this is what Jesus had to say. And listen to this, listen to it. Thinking about the relationships that you're in, thinking about the relationships that you have, thinking about the struggles that you may be facing, the tensions you may be facing, and listen to what Jesus had to say. A new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. Okay, and Jesus is saying, listen, I know that you know the laws, and I know that you know the commands that have been given, but here's Jesus saying, I want to give you something new. Now, he's not talking about new as we might think new. He's reemphasizing something that had already been emphasized. He's coming back and saying, here's something extraordinary. Here's something remarkable that I want you to hold on to, and I just don't want you to hear it today, but I want to give you something that if you live it out, That if you do what I say do, that it will have an impact. But what I want you to do is I want you to go and I want you to love others. 
In other words, if you and your spouse were having some problems and you would say, okay, let's set an appointment with Jesus and let's go get some marriage counseling. And let's say you go to the meeting, you've got a list of all the things that your spouse needs to do to make things right. Things that they need to change. And don't tell me you've never been there before. You've thought it. Some of you've got a mental list. You may not have it on a piece of paper, but some of us have mental lists. Well, if they would just do this, 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 life would be so much easier. And Jesus would ask the simple question as they would come in and they would have their list. Here, Jesus, let me give you my list. And yet Jesus would say, do you love your spouse? But Jesus, let me give you my list. See, here's my list I've prepared. These are all the things. And Jesus would say, just hold on a second. We'll get to your list in a minute. Do you love your spouse? Well, yes, I love my spouse. And Jesus said, can I ask you another question? If you love them, tell me how you're loving them. Tell me how you're loving them. And Jesus would say, listen, if you're serious about this love thing, and if you love them, then, then, then tell me how you're loving them. Then love them instead of trying to fix them. In other words, quit, quit trying to focus on all the things that they need to be changed and adjusted and altered in, in the life of your spouse but instead, let change begin with you. And if you're serious, if you're serious about this thing called love, even if, you're, if you're serious about the marriage commitment, if you're serious about your vows, if you're serious about your relationships, I just want you to know it's going to require some effort. There's going to be some work. It's not going to be easy. There's going to be some tensions that are involved. And Jesus is saying, listen, for any, the foundation for any long-term relationship isn't a feeling, but it's, it's action. It's not a feeling, but it's love and motion. But Jesus didn't stop there because he went on to say a new command I give you to love one another as I have loved you. You must love one another. And Jesus is saying, look, don't take, don't, don't, don't take what you see from everybody else. Don't take your cues from how to love and how to, to act from other people. But what I want you to do, uh, the way that you treat other people, the, what I want you to do is I want you to watch me and I want you to take your cues from me. Because if you're willing to do that, if you're willing to take your cues from me, guys, I'm going to do my best to try to teach you what real love is all about. I'm going to try to demonstrate what real love is all about. Because I don't want you just to listen I don't want you just to hear what I say to you, but I want you to watch me. And I want you to do what I do. Because Jesus didn't talk about just loving, but he showed us how to love others. And you say, but Jesus, you just don't understand. You don't know the way they act. And Jesus would say, I know, I know how you acted, though. Yet I kept the door open. See, that's what I'm going to tell you. Keep the door open. Don't try to change them. It's here. It's inside. And years later, after Jesus had been crucified, resurrected from the dead, and after he descended to heaven, it was the Apostle Paul who took the same idea that Jesus gave. And Paul would use a different word, and we talked about it last week. We read it last week. We read the verse last week. And here he was. Paul was speaking to the church at Ephesus on how to live out our faith. And if you remember, remember it, it was in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 21. And Paul would write this, submit, that's the word you want to underline it, you want to emphasize it in some type of way, put some parentheses around it. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. 
And, and you know, and I know it. I mean, if we're honest, we don't like that word. We don't like the word submit. We want to run from it. We don't like that. Submit. And this word submit means to willingly place ourselves underneath, to give up our rights, to yield ourselves. And even though it's a different word than what Jesus would use, it's still the same goal. Still moving us in the same direction. And Paul would say that the common, common denominator of any foundation, of any marriage that is serious about till death do part, that phrase that we often have a, a way of speaking but not, not really taking to heart what we're speaking at that moment in time in reference to our vows, is this one thing, mutual submission, which means it's not about me, but it's about you. That you are the priority. And this is a principle that works not only in marriage, but any relationship. And when you see it being lived out, it sticks out. Other people take notice. When you begin to see this kind of, this kind of relationship, this kind of love, submission being lived out, when we see it lived out, it begins to stick out because it's odd. It's, it's abnormal. It doesn't look, it's not the way it's supposed to look in this world. And Paul said this idea of mutual submission is a sign or it's a characteristic of what real love looks like. In other words, when we're willing to submit, to yield to others, it's a game changer when it comes to relationships. And Paul's wisdom was that we were to love one another by submitting to one another. And then there was the key that went, that we were to submit to one another. Why? Why? Out of reverence for Christ. Having walked through Proverbs for three months this, this summer, I mean, I mean, it makes me think. Because there was so much inside of, inside of Proverbs that are applicable to every part of life. And go back to Proverbs 9.10 where it says, The fear of the Lord is the foundation. It's the beginning of wisdom. Knowledge of the Holy One results in good judgment. And that word fear, that word means reverence. Phobos, which is where we get the word phobia. To fear or to dread. There are things, phobias, that people, things that people are afraid of. And I could probably go through a list of things that people are afraid of. I walked in the door today and I saw a little, I saw a little uh, lizard in the, in the foyer. And I thought to myself, there's going to be a woman that screams today. <laughs> Arachnophobia, the fear of spiders. So the ages 10, 8, and 6... We're on the way from Orlando coming back to uh, coming back home one night when the kids were about that age. We'll just give it that age. It sounds good. We're about 20, 25 minutes out. We're on the turnpike. And man, thank God for those little video screens when you're driving a van and everybody can be tuned in. The little kids in the back, it gets quiet. You know, you turn those things off, everybody, you know. But they had their little screens, whatever it was they were watching. And all of a sudden, there was a blood-curdling scream. And you thought somebody was murdering somebody in the back of the, back of the, the van. I can't see because I'm driving. I can't, I can't turn my neck that way. Abby's sitting behind me over here. It was Abby that screamed, by the way. And I mean, it's just utter chaos in the back. And they're like, stop! Stop! I'm like, what in the world is going on? And, and spider! You know, I guess he had run across the screen. Well, I did the worst thing in the world because I turned the light on. And when I turned the light on, she said it jumped into the vent that was next to her. (laughs) 
bad deal, bad deal. Light on the rest of the way. Everybody's sort of in their car seats, moved as far as they can the whole time, hollering all, 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 all the way over a little stinking spider, for goodness sake. I didn't pull over, but I just kept going. I said, you're going to have to learn to not be scared of spiders. That's what I told them. I'm a bad person. I know. Don't send me your emails. But so let's fast forward to a month ago when we're taking Anna to school. So we're taking, we're driving Anna up and it's the middle of the night. Anna's sleeping in the back. Meredith's working on the computer. It's the middle of the night. It's probably one o'clock in the morning. And all of a sudden I see a spider um, on the, on the, on the windshield. And I didn't know if he was on the inside or if he was on the outside. But I did not want to have another one of those experiences like I had back at that time because my wife would have been one screaming too, but she's working on the computer. So I didn't say a word. I just turned on the windshield wipers. (laughs) Meredith promptly says, what'd you do that for? And I said, oh, nothing, nothing, nothing. This past... This past Monday, as I was reliving this story, I said, babe, I said, do you remember when we were going up and I said, and you, and I, and, and I turned on the windshield wipers and, um, and you said, what'd you do that for? And I said, um, baby, did I ever tell you why I did it? And she said, no. She said, um, she said, you saw a spider, didn't you? <laughs> I said, yeah, baby, I saw a spider. And she said, He was on the inside, wasn't he? (laughs) I never said a word, but anyway. (laughs) Going back to the idea of submission, which is where we need to go back. Why would anyone choose to put another person's need above their own? Jesus. Jesus. (laughs) What? Why would somebody turn the windshield wipers on in the middle of the night and say, and say, and spider, Jesus, it's smart, <laughs> Jesus. See, it's, it's, it isn't normal uh, in the natural, but it's the work of the Holy Spirit living inside of us when we're living under the Lordship of Jesus Christ that makes us do some things that are odd, that are abnormal, to which the world would go, what are you doing that for? Jesus, Jesus. Why would you choose to live that way, Jesus? Why would you choose to to submit and to respect and honor your husband, Jesus? Why would you choose to love your wife as Christ loved the church, Jesus? See, when we begin to, 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 to look at things through the lens of what the Scripture has to say, and we want to begin, Dave, to, to follow what it says and apply it to our lives, it causes us, Brian, to, to want to do things differently to want to live differently. I mean, when we do that, it it impacts how we not only view others, but how we treat other people. See, one of the greatest blessings of being in an area for a long period of time is you get to see people grow up and you have a front row seat to their life, especially when they give their life to Christ and you see their lives being changed. Oftentimes I get stopped in the community by somebody that says, hey, this happened just uh, two weeks ago. At somebody that I saw them, they go, hey, man, have you said, what's going on in so-and-so's life? I said, I don't know what's going on. And they said, man, their life is changing. I said, what are you talking about? And they said, well, I know what they used to be like. And I go, well, I know what they used to be like too. And he says, but they're different. 
I said, what do you mean? He goes, the way they treat other people. The way they act towards other people. I said, wow. See, regardless of the past, when we come to the place of submitting our life to Christ, it's a decision that changes the trajectory of your life. See, when we come to the place to say, Jesus, I want to I submit myself and yield myself to you, what ends up happening is that decision is a change that changes the trajectory of our lives. When we love others, not because of what we've learned from culture, what we've learned from social media influencers, but when we love people like Jesus loved, others begin to take notice. And it changes things. Jesus said, greater love hath no man than this, than to lay down his life for his friends. And that's exactly what Jesus did for us. See, Jesus laid down his life for me. He, didn't, he just didn't up and pick, up his, pick up his toys and go to another place. But Jesus said, no, I'm in. I'm in, and I believe in him, and I'm going to love him in spite of the fact he's not being lovable right now. I'm going to give my life. He would demonstrate his life for us. While we were still in sin, he would give it. He would give it. You know, you don't build lasting love by saying, I do. But only when we choose to follow the example set by Christ and we, we love and we mutually submit ourselves to one another. See, marriage isn't about choosing. It's, it is about choosing, not as much about choosing the right person as it is choosing to be the right person. Let me say that again. Not as much about choosing the right person, but choosing to be the right person. Do you hear what I'm saying to you? This isn't so much about your spouse. This isn't so much about your friends. This is you choosing to be the right person. And the right person realizes that love is a verb and it is action. It's not just about feelings. See all the butterflies, the preparations, the marriage. The, the, it's all exhilarating and exciting until you get the bill, right? <laughs> But don't be surprised if somewhere along the journey something begins to change and there's some tensions and there are challenges and things don't feel the same. Then what do you do? Then where do you turn? What do you do when the vows that you made are challenged and they're put to the test? What are you going to hold on to? Submission out of reverence is, is never, it's not a popular and it's not easy. But it was the example that Jesus set out. It's what he, what he said, how we should live. And you, you may say, but you have no idea, Pastor, Pastor Sid, that joker that I live with and all the foolishness that I put up with. I know. But God does. And if you, if you would quit spending so much time trying to change him, and say, Jesus, is there something here you need to adjust in my life? There'd be some things that might will change. You say, but there's just no way, Pastor said, I, I, can, I can do this. And I, I get it. I mean, I, listen, I understand it. I, I just can't do this. I can't go on any longer. And, and I, I, I see Jesus in your corner. Yes, you can. Yes, you can. I, you can do it. No, no, you don't understand. Yes, yes. You, you can do it. See, not by your strength, not by your power, but by, my, but by my spirit. See, that's the whole reason I sent my son. 
Not because you could, but because you couldn't. I sent him because I knew that you couldn't, but I knew that he could. Just trust me. Just trust me. See, this is the Christ in you. In reference to your spouse, in reference to your relationships, this is the Christ in you. I'm crucified with Christ, therefore I no longer live. This isn't about me, but this is about Christ who now lives within me. What would it be like if we were to love people the way that Jesus loved us? Instead of trying to change our spouse, we would say, Jesus, change me. Change me. A little bit later on, Jesus would say this. He would go on to say that that people will know that you're mine by the way you love. And they will know that you're Christians by the way that you, you live. Sometimes we're expecting things from other people that we ourselves aren't even willing to give. Do you hear me? So many times we're expecting things from our spouse that we ourselves, we're not willing to give. Next week when you come back, we're going we're gonna to finish up by looking at some principles that have practiced. What they'll do is they'll help us lessen the difference, the gap. They'll close the gap between what we might would say would be our good intentions from our good intentions to actions. So we're going to talk about some of those principles next week. Tonight, there are some of you that have, have already signed up. There's a good group of people that are meeting in the fellowship hall. I want you to know that you can't do marriage by yourself. You need some help with other people walking alongside of you. And tonight there's a group of people that will meet you and me forever is that small group environment. And they're broken up around tables. And we'd love for you to join us. There may be some spots that are available. You can sign up online by texting the word forever to the text line at 352-358-7770. If you've got children, you say, I can't come. You bring your children. When you sign up, let us know that you're bringing your children so we can make sure your kids are taken care of during that time. But they'll meet at 5 o'clock to 630 over in the fellowship hall. And we'd love for you to come. Because see, listen, guys, church isn't about coming into a building and sitting in rows. It's about sitting in circles with one another and having relationships because we need one another. Amen? And you're going to face stresses and you're going to face tensions. And there are obstacles that we have to overcome. And the obstacles that you are going to face are not obstacles that are just, they're common to man. The things that we face in life, they're common to man. Don't think that you're the only one that may be experiencing those things, regardless of whatever it may be. And the Bible says, why do we go through the things that we go through? So that we can be an encouragement to one another. And in those times when we're walking, I'll tell you what the devil does. What he does is he moves you over to the side and he isolates you because then he knows he's got you. But see, in Jesus, we want to be with people. We want to be with community who value the things that we value that will speak truth into us because there's life there. Would you bow with me today? As your heads are bowed, I just want to say this. You can't experience life without Jesus. You can't first experience life without first submitting your life and yielding your life to him. And today, if you don't know him, what is it that keeps you from making the most important decision of your life? I'll tell you what it is. You don't think you need him. You don't think you need him. 
But today, this is what I want you to know, that a relationship with God begins when you come to recognize that there is a need. And in that need, you recognize your sin, and you come to recognize and believe that what the Scripture has to say is true, that God gave His life. He sent His Son, Jesus Christ, who would give His life so that we could, we could have life. He would forgive us of our sin if we would confess our sin. That salvation in real life didn't happen because we were capable of doing all these good things and being good people and making good choices. But our salvation came through Jesus Christ who would give his blood as a sacrifice for our sin. And today, if you don't know Jesus, why, why wait any longer? Today, why not just be willing to take that step to acknowledge your sin, to believe what Jesus did for you, and to confess today and commit your life to Jesus. Because right there where you are, you can make the most important choice of your life. And just like we said, the choices that we make determine, um, determine the direction that we go. And right now, right here, you have the ability to make the most important decision in your life. You can pray a prayer, something along this line. Jesus, today I want to give my life to you. I confess my sin. I believe I want to commit my life to you right now, Jesus. And with every head bowed and every eyes closed, if that's you today, I just pray that before you leave this place that you'll come to me and say, today I made that decision. Father, for the rest of us that are in this room, Father, the message for us today has been pretty simple. Pretty simple. Lord, would you help us not just to read your word, but to, to hear it, to absorb it, and to seek to live it out. As we walk out these doors, help us to understand that you've called us to be your ambassadors, to be, um, Father, the givers of hope to the world. Our hope is not in this church. Our hope is not in a person. Our hope is in the person of Christ and him alone. He is our hope. Father, I pray that we would bring that light to this dark and dying world in which we live. And because of that, there would be people around us whose lives would be impacted. Thank you for the privilege of knowing the gospel, of not only just um, hearing the gospel, but knowing the gospel and seeing it lived out in and around me. It's a privilege to be part of a church family that, that, is, that is experiencing that. Go with us now. Use us. Father, may we be your hands and feet in this world. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.